If you have a copy of the scriptures, let me invite you to turn once again to the little uh, New Testament book, the last of uh, Paul's epistles in the New Testament before the book of Hebrews, and it's the book of Philemon. And so if you'll turn there, and we're doing a a short uh, series through this book, and today we're going to look at uh, verses 4 through 7, verses 4 through 7. Let me invite you as you're able, let's stand in honor of the reading and the hearing of God's Word. And again, I'm going to read from the Epistle of Paul to Philemon. Again, uh, it's just one chapter in length, but we're going to read verses 4 through 7, wherein the Apostle writes, I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast towards the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, or toward all saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word, and let us join in prayer. Lord, as we uh, once again open the pages of thy word, and in this case to read uh, these uh, writings of the Apostle Paul, and to understand uh, better uh, what is being said through this, not just to the Christians of the first century, but what has been said to every generation, including our own We ask that you would give us illumination, open our eyes, unstop our ears, loosen our hearts. We ask this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. So again, we're continuing this exposition of the shortest of Paul's letters. And this is a brief personal note that Paul has written to a man named Philemon. Uh, I was having a discussion about the pronunciation. Some people pronounce it Philemon. Um, I, 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 I pronounce it Philemon. I always say, do you pronounce Timothy Timothy? But, um, uh, but it seems to me like Philemon, but I don't know. Uh, it's, if you pronounce it Philemon, that's okay. Um, so this was a, a short letter, and it, it's a sensitive letter. It was addressing a very sensitive matter. And... The, the matter was that there was a servant named Onesimus, and he had fled from his master, Philemon, who was a Christian and most likely was an elder, very possibly at the church at Colossae. And when Onesimus had fled from his master, uh, somehow he had come into contact with the apostle Paul. And he had come into contact, perhaps he had, he had met Christians in Rome. And they had told him about this uh, apostle who was in prison. And Onesimus had, had gone to the prison and he had talked with Paul. Perhaps he was in prison himself, we don't know. But somehow he had met the apostle Paul. And the apostle Paul had been a kind of spiritual midwife to Onesimus in bringing him to new birth in Christ. And so if you look at verse 10, uh, Paul says to Philemon, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. 
And so uh, this man, Onesimus, had been born again. You know, Paul met with Nicodemus in John 3 in the evening. And Nicodemus said, what do I have to do to enter into the kingdom of heaven? And Christ said, you must be born again. And so uh, Paul, it was as though he had again been the spiritual midwife to see this uh, man begotten into the faith. And he had done so while he was in prison. And so now, with Onesimus having been converted, um, Paul is sending him back to Philemon, and Paul well knows Philemon. As we'll see, Paul was likely influential in the conversion of Philemon. And we noted last time how he he writes this this letter, Paul does, along with Timothy, uh, to Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. And so he's writing this to intercede, to appeal Uh, He described himself, we talked last time, as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He was literally in prison, but metaphorically, uh, his life was in Christ's hands. And Christ was in charge of controlling his life. He wrote this letter, uh, we noted last time, not only to Philemon, but also to, you look at verse 2, our beloved Aphia, which may have been Philemon's wife. So there may have been a kind of a ministry team like Aquila and Priscilla. And also there's mention of a man named Archippus, who he calls our fellow soldier. And I think there's a good chance that Archippus was also an elder in the church. And as Paul is writing this letter, um, he does so with the understanding that when this letter is received, because it's written to Philemon, it's listed with what we sometimes call the personal letters of Paul, First and Second Timothy and Titus. But there's another sense in which this letter is a churchly letter because he includes these other people. And he knows that this letter is going to be read aloud. And that's what happened in the first century church. We have these letters that are in our New Testament. Paul would write these letters and when they were received, probably the elder or pastor would stand up and say, I have a letter from Paul. And they would read that letter. And we, we have some sense that that's what happened because in the book of Colossians, in Colossians 4.16, Paul gave these instructions. And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans. So he says, when you get this letter, read it aloud when you're meeting and then, then also send it on to the church of Laodicea and make sure they read it. And there's also a reference in Colossians 4.16 to what he calls the epistle from Laodicea that may, uh, could possibly refer to this letter, but it could have also been an uninspired letter. Not everything Paul wrote was inspired. Uh, Only the the books that we have in the New Testament were inspired works, but Paul would communicate. He basically was using the technology of the times. Um, if Paul were living today in the providence of God, he'd probably be sending uh, emails and text messages and whatnot. But the technology of the time was letter writing. So Paul couldn't be there in person, but he, so he sends a letter to speak for him. But he sends this, dealing with this sensitive matter, knowing that it might be helpful to draw other Christians into the conversation. And we know that Paul sometimes did that. There's another... There's another well-known example of this in the book of Philippians. If you were to turn backwards and look at, look at Philippians chapter 4, 
there was a situation in the church at Philippi where apparently there were two women who had gotten into some sort of kerfluffle with each other, some type of disagreement. And Paul writes this letter that's dealing with lots of things, the letter to the church at Philippi, but one of the practical pastoral things he does is he, he's writing to sort of settle things out between these two women. So if you're in Philippians 4, verses 2 and 3, he writes, I beseech Euodius and I beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. So there was some sort of difference that they had. And then he also calls upon other Christians who are there to serve as helpers and mediators in this. These are probably the elders. Verse three, and I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, or some modern translations say a faithful companion or something like that, probably a nickname for one of the elders. Help those women which labored with me in the gospel with Clement also. Clement was perhaps another elder. And with my other fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. And so it wasn't uncommon for Paul to write a letter if he knew there was some sort of disagreement, some sensitive matter, have it read to the church and address, settle this matter out. And that's, that's essentially what he's doing in this book. He, he is probably fearful that Philemon is going to be, perhaps justly, rightly, very angry with Onesimus. But, but Paul uh, realizes that, that Onesimus has become a believer. And he wants, he wants Philemon to receive Onesimus uh, no longer as simply a servant, but now as a brother in Christ and to forgive him uh, for whatever injustice that took place with him deserting Philemon. So we see this if you look at Philemon verses 15 and 16, for, for perhaps he meaning Onesimus, therefore departed for a season that thou shouldst receive him forever, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, specially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. You, you lost him for a season when he ran away, but, but now you can receive him back as a brother that you'll be in heaven with, that you're going to know as a fellow believer uh, for, for, for ages that are to come. And also these letters that Paul's writing and that are being read in the churches, before the New Testament is even complete, Christians are recognizing that these inspired letters that Paul wrote are not just ordinary letters, but they contain uh, God-breathed truth within them. So uh, Peter will write in 2 Peter 3, verses 15 and 16, relating to uh, our beloved brother Paul, as he calls him. And he talks about the wisdom that was given to Paul to write. And then he says of Paul in 2 Peter three sixteen, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. And so there's an acknowledgement that Paul's letters, after they had their first use pastorally being sent to these churches to deal with issues, 
that they were being collected by Christians and then circulated because they acknowledged, received in them God-breathed truth. And it's also interesting that Peter acknowledges, uh, first of all, that, that some of Paul's letters were hard to understand. And also that unstable and unlearned people could twist their, their meaning. And that's why there need to be good interpreters and the elders need to properly interpret those letters. But also, he puts the epistles of Paul in 2 Peter 3.16, on par with the other scriptures. So that Paul's letters were being read like the Old Testament. They were being received as scripture. Um, So it's interesting, even what we're doing today, an elder standing up, reading a letter of Paul. This was done in the first century. We're doing something today that the primitive church did. Paul can't call out the names of anybody in this room, but anytime we read Paul's letters, somehow our issues are being put before the body, our collective issues as Christians. And our struggles, our joys, we're being, we're being affirmed in some things, we're being, we're being warned in other things. And so uh, we're doing something that's been done from the beginning. Again, Paul desires that this sensitive matter would be known and understood by the church. And so that's what he's doing. Now, the part we're looking at today, it starts in verse 14 with what's called the thanksgiving. And so it starts in verse 4. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers. In ancient letters, there was a convention that when you wrote a letter you would put in a thanksgiving. You would say the name of the sender, the name of the recipient. You would give a greeting, and then there would be a thanksgiving. Even pagans did this. If they wrote a letter, they would say, I thank Poseidon that I had a a nice sea voyage. But when Christians wrote letters, of course, they gave thanks to the one true God. And so here's Paul thanking the God of the Bible, the triune God. I thank my God making mention of the always in my prayers. And if you look through Paul's letters, you will often find him at the beginning of his letters expressing a thanksgiving or giving a blessing. We can compare this to Philippians also. Philippians 1 verses 3 and following, it reads, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine For you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And similarly here, it's another thanksgiving. I thank God for you. Actually, there's going to be another mention of fellowship here as well. Um, Alongside of the thanks to God, there's also Paul's statement that he has been in constant prayer for Philemon and for the church that meets in his house. I thank my God, making mention of the always in my prayers. So he's been praying for Philemon. His prayer has been constant. As Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, we are to pray without ceasing. And here is interesting because here we have an apostolic precedent because we're always looking for the regulative principle that our practices of piety and worship be shaped by what we find in the scriptures, that it's proper for us to pray for fellow believers. It's proper for us to pray for sister churches. And so when we do that from 
the pulpit and our pastoral prayers are on Wednesday nights when we have our prayer meeting. And we pray for one another by name. When we pray for brothers and sisters from other churches that we know that we're in fellowship with by name. Or when we lift up those churches and their officers, we're doing something that's been done since the first century. We're doing something that it has an apostolic spirit about it. Um, we're doing something that's biblical. And notice that, that, as, that Paul's prayer here is not generic. Um, we, we've all perhaps been in prayer meetings and maybe we've even uttered it ourselves where we, we've fallen into using stock language. You know, God bless all the missionaries. Um, but, but notice there's a model here for prayer. Notice what, what Paul prays for. I thank my God making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. So he mentions here that his prayers, his constant prayers for Philemon and for the church are prompted by his hearing, either through receiving letters from them or getting personal reports from them of uh, Philemon's actions and the actions of those in the church. And notice in verse 5, he calls attention to two things that he has heard about. Hearing of thy love and faith. I mean, we hear those words so many times in church that they, it begins to mean nothing to us. But these were two special words for Christians. The word love, agape, that means the special love that Christians have for one another. The brotherly love that Christians have for one another. And faith means, first of all, saving faith. Faith in Christ. The, the type of faith uh, when the Ethiopian eunuch, before he's baptized, says, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe he is the Son of God. Um, that's from the same verb as the noun faith, the verb to believe. So Paul says of Philemon in the church there, I've heard of your love. I've heard of your faith, which you have in two directions. You have, you have love for Christ. You have faith. You believe saving faith in the Lord Jesus. And you also have love. And I think faith in the sense of trust and confidence in all saints. And here the word saints doesn't mean super Christians. It's not saints the way it's used in the Roman Catholic Church or the Eastern Orthodox Church. In the New Testament, saints simply means believers, holy ones, people who have been set apart by grace through faith. And so I have heard about your love and faith, which is exercised towards Christ, the Lord Jesus, and toward all Christians. And then what else is he what else is he praying for? He's praying talking about this constant prayer. Having known of these things, now the object of his prayer it, it, it goes in two directions. In verse 6, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. So the first thing that he says, I've always been praying about having received reports of you is that the communication of your faith may be effectual. Here the word, uh, the English word communication behind it, in this case is the Greek word koinonia, 
which is normally rendered as, as fellowship or partnership. And so maybe we could, we could render his prayer here as, as saying something like that. The, the fellowship you have in the faith will become effectual by you becoming aware of all the good things that are in you because of your belief in Christ. Um, and then in the second part of this, in verse 7, he branches off to talk about love. Remember that the two things he'd heard about in verse 5 were the love and the faith of Philemon, and I think by extension the church. And now in verse 6, he talks about he's praying earnestly that he would become aware of the, the koinonia that he has by faith that's been given to him, the good things given to him as a Christian. The second thing, though, the focus is on love. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love. And so um, he uh, can, can offer thanksgiving because there is this, this agape uh, he, he, he has joy in hearing of, their, of Philemon's agape. He has consolation or comfort in hearing about it. He says in verse 7, because the bowels of the, of the saints are refreshed by thee. And so he touches especially uh, with thankfulness to God for what he has heard about the love that's been expressed by Philemon and this church. Uh, what does it mean that they have refreshed the bowels of the saints. Uh, the word here, bowels, does mean that like the gut. And it was the Greek way of speaking about sort of the seat of one's deepest feelings and emotions. And what he's saying is that you've demonstrated so much agape, so much love for the brethren that they can feel it in their gut and they feel refreshed by you, by the sincere love that you have. Now, now, we might ask a couple of questions, and that is, where has Paul heard about Philemon's faith and love? Maybe he's heard it from other Christians, but one possibility is he's heard it from Onesimus. Maybe even when, when Onesimus was an unconverted servant in Philemon's household, he knew that Philemon was a Christian, and, and, and he could say, you know, while I was there, I saw that Philemon had faith and the other people in the church there had a common belief and they had a bond and a fellowship. And I also observed in the way that they cared for one another that there was genuine agape. What had he seen? Maybe he had observed, Onesimus had observed or others who've given this report to Paul that Philemon was generous in giving to the needs of the poor saints in the church. Maybe he saw that Philemon and others were diligent in caring for the sick, in comforting those who were grieving, in visiting those who had been in prison due to persecution, in praying alongside those who were suffering, in encouraging those who were discouraged. And and so he, he's writing this to make this part of his prayer of thanksgiving for all the good things that he has seen at work uh, in 
this brother, Philemon, and in this church. And perhaps Paul is also making mention of this because he knows he's going to have to call upon Philemon and other people in this church to exercise a new level of faith and love in dealing with Onesimus, whom he's sending back. And for whatever reason, against whom Philemon may well have a judge, a grudge rather, may be angry with him. And he's sending him back and wanting him to be received again as a, now as a brother. Well, we've briefly looked at this, and I think there are a lot of things we can learn from this passage, even, even a, a little snippet of, of it here that is so small. One thing we learn about is prayer, how to pray for one another. Sometimes we struggle with this. Sometimes it's easier to say, pray for me because I'm sick or I have this physical ailment or that. And anything is worth praying for. Praying for our health is not not wrong. But notice that the focus of of the prayer in verse 6 for Philemon was that his faith would become effectual to the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we had Christian brothers and sisters who said, I'm praying for you that you might come to a greater awareness of all the good things that are in you through Christ. And that all those things would work more effectually in you so that your faith would be increased. Or I'm praying for you that you would express Love such love for the saints that you would refresh them in the in their in their the, the their bowels of need, and so that's that's a different uh, kind of praying, and maybe there's something that can be learned by us in prayer. Um, we might also ask, would someone be able to look at our lives and see evidences of our faith and love? And we're also reminded that through these prayers that um, Paul is urging through this prayer, thanking God, but also urging through this prayer that Philemon and the other believers there will be characterized by these things, that they would be characterized by great faith and great love. And we think about uh, uh, our our experience as believers, our experience in the church, because this is a churchly letter. And so often we think about church uh, from a kind of a consumer mentality. The consumer mentality thinks, um, I'm satisfied with my church if my church provides for me all the things I want or need. If my church provides me friendships, if my church provides me the kind of fellowship with believers I would like to have in my circle, as long as it meets my needs, the needs of my family, then I'm satisfied. But the servant mentality says, I'm satisfied with my church, with the fellowship I have with believers, as long as I have the opportunity to serve the needs of the saints. So not what might I receive, but what might I give? How might I serve? How might I be used of God to be a help uh, to the brethren? 
And sometimes we might be called upon to welcome somebody we don't particularly like or to be reconciled to somebody who's done wrong in the way that Philemon was being urged to, to do with Onesimus. So as we continue to overhear the rest of this letter, let us listen, uh, let us learn from the apostles' counsel, and let us find spiritual refreshment in the fellowship of the saints. And essentially, we're just doing what Christians have been doing for the last 2,000 years when they've read this letter. Um, as, it was re- as letters like this were read in the church at Colossae, So it's being read in our midst and God is using it as an instrument uh, to encourage and exhort and comfort us. And so may he bless his word uh, to our spiritual growth and edification. Amen. Let me invite you as you're able, let's stand together. Let's join in prayer. Gracious and loving God, uh, we do join in giving thee thanks. And we are thankful for thy church, our local church here, and also for many other sister churches we know that are being faithful and they're serving thee. We know that there's no perfect church in this age, that all the churches will have one fault or another and greater degrees of faithfulness in some areas and less in others. Uh, But you have chosen to work through your church. You built it. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we pray that it might be said of us and our church that folk would, would hear of our faith and our love. Our faith in thee, our love for one another, our love for the saints. And give us, O God, a confidence in thee. Give us a hearty and strong belief. Let us not be wavering, pushed this way and that by every wind of doctrine. And give us also a deep affection for one another, and knowing, as Christ said, that whatever we do for the least of these, our brethren, we do for thee. And so help us to, to, to uh, be mindful of this as we go about uh, our lives as believers in this world and within this church and interactions with Christians from other churches as well. Be with us as we now prepare to come unto thy table and to take of the bread and the cup and help us to honor Christ by doing that which he has commanded us to do. We ask this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.